podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. is sitting pretty after a week three where teams go seven and two. Well, everyone's sitting pretty except for two teams. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. I am Philip Slavin, and this is the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Chris is here, but he had to run, so he's not here for the intro. Chris and Andy Mitz and Franklin Markle from LGG are on the show. We are recapping week three in the Big 12. It was a big, big week. Yes, the Big 12 lost the big game of the week. Iowa State with a, man, what a way to lose a game. I don't, I've never seen anything like that. I feel bad. I kind of giggled. I also kind of just, it's just, that's gut-wrenching. That is gut-wrenching. And I'm pretty sure this morning there is zero bush light or any sort of alcohol left in Ames after that game. But a lot of the Big 12 is feeling really good about themselves We're going to talk about those teams, Kansas State, Kansas, West Virginia. We're talking about those three especially. We are going to talk about Iowa State's loss. We're going to get into some of the TCU win at Purdue. And then just a discussion about the Big 12 in general, because right now there are a lot of stats and numbers that tell me the Big 12 is a lot better this season than people wanted to say before the season began. And before we get to our big recap, just make sure you have ESPN Plus because A, the Miles to Go documentary is on there. If you missed last week's episode after Kansas loss, it was fantastic. And I can't wait to see what things are like after their big win at Boston College on Friday. Good grief, what a win. So if you don't want to miss that and you don't want to miss West Virginia Kansas game this coming Saturday because it's going to be an interesting one, you're going to make sure you have ESPN Plus and big 12 now. So go check out our Twitter account at 1012 podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. At the top of the page will be a pinned tweet with a link to sign up for ESPN Plus. Get your free trial. You can just go ahead and get signed up. Start getting charged the $4.99 a month. It doesn't cost you anything extra to sign up this way, but it does help us out. So go check out our Twitter. 
1012 podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Give it a follow if you want, but check that link at the top. Get yourself signed up and don't miss a minute of the fantastic Big 12 Now action. This was a huge week for the Big 12 heading into it. This was the big one. No, it didn't have the biggest game on the schedule, but it had the most games that mattered. And to me, despite the outcomes by a couple teams, the Big 12 came out of it looking uh, looking pretty good, especially when the teams at the bottom of your conference go and beat the teams in the middle of the other conferences. And that's kind of where I want to start this, because to me, the three biggest games were those by Kansas, Kansas State, and West Virginia. And that's why we have Andy Mitts. And Franklin Markell on the show, because these are the guys in the LGG who cover Kansas, Kansas State, and West Virginia. Andy, I want to start with the Jayhawks, because that's that's your your love, and that I don't think anyone saw what was coming on Friday night at Boston College. What is, first off, just as a Kansas fan, what's, what's your kind of your, your feeling now that you've had a few days to process, and, and what happened? Oh my gosh, I'm still over the moon at this point. I mean... Yeah, I, I the the best example I think you have to have of the fact that nobody really expected anything. I mean, my my uh, preview over on Land Grand Gauntlet was essentially saying, you know, Kansas was probably going to lose this one big, but we're going to see something positive, and and that was really all I was hoping for. And they completely overshot that. The fact that they they covered the spread as if they were the favorites um, was absolutely phenomenal. You know, the, the one stat that keeps getting thrown out there that I will continue to throw out there until someone betters it, which hopefully, you know, it won't be Kansas uh, is they have the biggest win by a 20 plus point road underdog in the power five ever, um, which is just absolutely phenomenal to think about. Um, Yeah. Nobody expected this. Everybody was shocked. And, and my favorite part about it is that people are still nationally talking about it. Um, you know, there was a there was a brief mention on one of the NFL pregame shows um, this morning that I was watching. So this is absolutely ridiculous that it's that big of a win and it's reverberating throughout the nation. To put it in per- into perspective, you're looking at a team that hasn't won a road game in the biggest power five opponents since like 2008. And now they go and set a record. That's that's insane. Yeah. So so trivia question, extra points if you guys can get it. Who was the last team that they beat on the road? Colorado. Actually, no, it was not. Oh, it wasn't. Oh, no, it was Iowa State back in. Oh, that's right. I believe they beat Colorado just before they beat Iowa State on the road that year as well. Okay, fair enough. So let me ask this, Andy, because this is kind of the think the running theme after this weekend is is who is Kansas? Is Kansas the team that went out and curb stomped Boston College, or is Kansas the team that couldn't score more than seven points against Coastal Carolina at home? Well, they definitely aren't the seven point against Coastal Carolina. Um, you know, it was pretty evident there. And, I, and I've talked about this on our own podcast, but um, over at Rock, at Rock Talk Talk and, and the Rock Talk podcast, you know, we we have uh, seen this in the past where it looked like the coach had his own idea what was going on and it didn't work, you know, and he essentially told us that, you know, this is what the offense is going to be. They really quickly changed. And you saw that on the miles to go over on ESPN plus, you know, he took responsibility for that, talked about how the coaching staff needed to go back and draw up a brand new game plan. And there was a lot of questions about whether he would actually make that change or not. And what we saw was a completely different offensive game plan. 
than we had ever seen before. This is absolutely nothing like the, you know, less miles ground and pound that he had over at LSU. Um, Brent, Brent Deerman, the, the offensive analyst that they brought on, who is really well known for what he's, you know, he, he, he's, he's written a book about RPOs. Um, they went to him and got his input on where could they take advantage of this with these guys? What kind of new plays could they bring in? They went and revamped the entire offense with his input, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. You could tell it was a completely different offense they had before. And so while I don't think it's going to work quite this well throughout the rest of the year, I think we're definitely a lot closer to what they've done against BC in terms of scheme, game plan, that type of stuff than they were against Coastal Carolina. To talk about that offense, I mean, that was a brand new Carter Stanley. 20 of 27, 238 yards, three touchdowns. That's a, we have not seen that out of Carter Stanley. And then to add another 300 and nearly 30 yards of, you know, ground game, they, they, this is, it's a completely different offense. Well, we have seen that Carter Stanley before, not quite that successful, but that was the kind of performance that he gave against Texas when he, when they upset Texas back in 2016, in terms of the way he carried himself, you know, the way that he was able to kind of pick things apart. And, you know, it's, it's it, right. Exactly. Never, never forget. But, you know, it, it is one of those things. He didn't have quite the supporting cast. He obviously didn't have the the great running backs that he had at that point to really kind of showcase that. But, you know, we we're getting back to what people have seen, especially myself, you know, who really has been a big Carter Stanley supporter have, have seen in that, in that, you know, he has the temperament. He has the ability to kind of bounce back from his own mistakes. And now he actually has a good supporting cast that can help him maximize what he's doing as long as the game plan is there. So I want to talk Kansas State, but I want to get to West Virginia first, because that's the other team that we all thought we knew who they were after getting blown out by Missouri. And then they come home, face NC State, and it's it's a totally different team and almost a totally different Austin Kendall. So Franklin, who is this West Virginia team and, and what happened on Saturday? Um. You know, it's tough to tell who West Virginia is right now. Um, Missouri was obviously a huge disappointment. They look terrible. Then they come home against NC State and blow them out of the water in the second half. Um, if I had to go with one of the two games, I'd probably lean towards Missouri because I don't think NC State is actually that good of a team. Um, they've been dominant on offense and defense so far, but that was against East Carolina and West Carolina, I believe. So they haven't really played anybody. Um, and I'm not completely sold on Austin Kendall either. Uh, he's made, you know, the short uh, intermediate throws that they've asked him to make, but his deep ball still isn't really there. Um, I think going into Big 12 play, they're going to need Austin Kendall to improve um, if they want to not finish in the cellar or near the cellar of the Big 12 this year. Yeah, Kendall really did seem to struggle on the on the deep ball. Some of the throws were just were way off, and... And even the ones that were fairly close, I mean, it was up to the receiver to to go get it. Like he, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, an an, e- an easy catch. So, um, yeah, yeah. What what do you think overall of what have we seen Kendall for the entire season? Well, I think I I think Kendall's in a tough position because, I mean, his receivers are also young. Um, they're fast. I think West Virginia has a lot of speed, uh, in the wide receiver group, but. I mean, none of them really can go up and make that catch. Like you said, he needs to throw a very, very good deep ball if, if it needs to be a completion. Um, I think if you put Kendall with last year's receivers, I think he'd be doing just fine. But um, I think the way West Virginia is going to move the ball past and is the short throws to, you know, the speed guys like Sam James, TJ Simmons, 
Um, they introduced the freshmen Winston Wright and Allie Jennings against NC State, and both of them had pretty good games. So I think um, I don't think it's going to be you know the deep throwing uh, of Kendall that's going to be successful this year. I think it's going to be those checkdowns, those short, quick throws, uh, if West Virginia wants to move the ball. Talk about a bright spot. Sam James really came on in that game. Nine nine receptions. You know, uh, he he really showed out. He's someone to watch. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, he's fast. He's very fast as a freshman. Um, I I expect him to be Kendall's go to guy this year. I think he gets open because of his speed. Um, and when, once the ball's in his hands, you, you, we saw it against SC State. He can make all sorts of plays. He can make guys miss. He can uh, can you know outspeed guys. So he's a very dangerous wide receiver. I honestly think he's West Virginia's best wide receiver right now. So Andy, I want to go back to Kansas State. They had what I think is not just the win of the weekend, but they may have the best win in the Big 12 in the non-conference at this point. Going on the road to Mississippi State, a team that pretty well embarrassed them last year in in Manhattan, and putting on the defensive performance relay that that I saw. Man, Kansas State, we kept looking all offseason for a team that was going to be the surprise team. I don't think any of us really thought it was Kansas State, but but I think we have to start looking at them as – not just the surprise team, but but someone who could finish in the top half of the conference. What has been your observation of the Wildcats so far? Yeah, I mean, especially with some of the other you know concerns from some of the other potentially top teams, like I think you could make the case that Kansas State could finish in third in the conference behind Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, they have looked really good, and and yes, they they definitely had some problems against Mississippi State at times. There were some turnovers that were problems. Um, the special teams really need to get short up some things that Kansas state fans aren't used to seeing being problems on their team, but the offensive and defensive line still looked really good. You know, they, they had a huge step up in competition and it took them a little while to get used to it. But once they got there, they looked very, very impressive in that second half. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, Kansas state is definitely a team that people need to take seriously. I do think, uh, you know, and again, this is something that I've kind of talked about as to why Kansas State hasn't really fallen off and is, I think, surprising people a lot more is that, you know, with all the faults that Bill Snyder had when he was there, he was still doing really well at recruiting big physical talent on the lines. And Chris Kleiman has been able to come in and take advantage of that and use those very dominant offensive and defensive lines to really run the type of play that he wants to run. And so, yeah, I, I'm expecting them to be pretty good this year. Uh, like, I would not be surprised to come up and see that they are third or fourth in the conference at the end of the year and going to a really good bowl. Yeah, they were my preseason number 10. Um, I I fully anticipated Ron Prince 2.0, not a knock on Kleiman. I think he's a fantastic coach, has shown to Ben. I just thought the transition was going to be difficult after Snyder because, I mean, I, I, I never anticipated Kansas State being better than they were last year, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. You know, we, we talked about the, the special teams, and they did. They they, caused, they had some problems, a couple of turnovers there. But the special teams also is is part of what they won. Malik Knowles with that 100-yard return for the touchdown right after they went down seven. It looked like Mississippi State had, had kind of regained momentum, might, might go ahead and, and put that game away. And then Kansas State finds a a touchdown on special teams in an area that had just been driving them nuts to to, to tie that up. Man, if they do fix the problems of, of turnovers on special teams, and I think those are things that, you know, you look at, those are easy things to fix. If the, if they're clean on special teams with the way they're playing defense and the way that the clock management on offense, the way they run that, man, Kansas State could be a very, very dangerous team in the Big 12 moving forward. Yeah, the, the one thing that they really need to work on, though, they had some pretty bad turnovers. You know, they had the one fumble on a kickoff that got turned into a touchdown for Mississippi State. 
Um, you know, and then they got two turnovers that they, they got the turnover and then immediately turned it over on the same play. And in both of those cases, Mississippi State turned those into points. Um, you know, so they, they really need to lock that down and kind of make sure that they're taking care of the ball better. Uh, it wasn't something that I thought based off of the first two games that they were going to have to struggle with. Um, but you can definitely start to see some of the cracks where if things do go south for the Wildcats, you know, those are probably the good reasons why that they have some issues with ball security. I'm not expecting it to continue. That seems like something that they could, you know, work out in a week or two. Um, and be just fine, but, you know, they have shown finally some cracks in how good of a team that they could be this year, and if if they do end up losing games, it's going to be, I think, because of those. A couple other games I want I want us all to kind of discuss. Obviously, the big game of the weekend was, was Iowa, Iowa State, and Iowa State, once again, can't seem to get past the Hawkeyes, but man, the end of that game, I've never seen anything like that. I felt both sad and laughed at the same time. And I, I know that's terrible, but good grief. How can you lose a game on, on special teams when, you're, when your guy runs into your, the guy who's supposed to catch the punt, bounces off his back, and Iowa comes? I mean, Iowa State had so many opportunities, I think, to, to take the lead and, and win that game. And when it got down to the end, I think Iowa State just shot themselves in the foot and couldn't get it done again. I'm going to jump in here real quick because – if, if you had told me coming into the weekend that one of the teams from the Big 12 was going to lose when their own, you know, blocker on special teams ran into the guy that was trying to catch the punt, I, I would have bet you a hundred bucks that it was Kansas, to be honest. Um, you know, that was a very Kansas way to lose the game. I will say, though, you know, they did have multiple opportunities. Iowa played some really good defense, but there were some cases where they benefited greatly from, um, you know, officials and the way that they call the game. And, and, you know, I don't want to be that guy that says, Oh, it was the officials fault. They lost, but they were going on that final drive with about four minutes left to go. Um, you know, and we're, we're moving the ball really well. And all of a sudden on a defensive pass interference call, they also called some phantom holding call. And, you know, the, 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 the LGG Twitter put the play up there. And I actually commented on it as well, because, you know, the guy that they called for holding didn't even like wasn't even holding the guy at all. Like he had his hands in the middle where it's really good to talk about. And the guy ended up falling down because a second offensive lineman came and blew him up like really, really bad. And for some reason they called that holding that should have been, you know, Iowa state first down on like the 20 yard line with plenty of time to go ahead and kick a field goal or to do whatever they needed to do. Mm -hmm. Instead, they were back at the 45, you know, and had to run another play because it was like a third and 12. Like that really, really messed with their ability to come back and tie that game. I don't know that they still would have gone on to win it, but they, they definitely had some chances taken away from them that shouldn't have been. Exactly. The only time I will say officiating flat out stole a win was the uh, was it Central Michigan Oklahoma State game and it was over and then they got an extra run an extra play. Who who was it that they played in that? But anyway, this game it, it doesn't change the outcome. But you're right. Had the holding. Not been called because you can go back and watch the replay. Holding, in my opinion, he doesn't hold him. Hands are in the chest. The guy falls down. It's not really, it's not holding. Um, but they would have, yeah, automatic first down, been about the 20 yard line. So, yeah, they could have fumbled it away. They could have thrown a pick. They could have done something. But you can't deny that they would have been in field goal position and they lost by one point. Yeah, I just, man, through two games, I, I still have problems with Iowa State's offense, and I still think the absence of of Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery is there. I think there's talent. I think there's mm-hmm. young talent, and I think this offense is going to continue to develop. But 
Brock Purdy also still just doesn't off. seem quite well. And I think again, Hakeem Butler wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. but he was super important to Brock Purdy's success last year. And I don't think they found a guy to to replicate that. Well, I, I think that he was a little dinged up. He was a little dinged up, and they kept him in the game. And and, and yeah, like. The fact that it came down to that kind of ending is is terrible, but Iowa State, there were there were multiple things. This was not a pretty game. It's not like Iowa State did everything right but that. There were there were there were multiple things that did not go right in this game. And the Cyclones, uh, they they just they have a bunch to work on to get ready for Big Twelve play. Yeah, and nothing well, throws the team off quite like impact. Uh, rain delays. Yeah. Well, right. That's 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 what I was going to say. Like, let's not forget the impact of the weather because. Iowa State was clicking really early, went down and got that touchdown, and then, oh, wait, there's a rain delay. And actually, they scored that first down, that first touchdown after a rain delay, you know, and then they were driving again, and then there was another rain delay. Like, that game was disjointed from the beginning. I'm not really that surprised that they couldn't get a good rhythm going. Um, I'm not saying that they don't have issues on the offense, because they definitely do. Um, but, you know, they're, they're kind of falling into the mold now of what TCU has been for years and that they have a really, really good defense that is going to keep them in a lot of games. The question is going to be, can their offense do enough to put them over the top? And I'm just not sure that they have it this year. Yeah, you, you had to feel for the, the fans that stayed and stuck around through the rain delay to, to lose in that way. That uh, That's going to be a memory hard to live down. So, Andy, I'm glad you brought up DCU because I did want to talk about the Horned Frogs. Uh, they head up to, to Lafayette and beat Purdue 34-13. to And I thought TCU would win this game, but their defense was sound. Um, you held Purdue, who's, who has an explosive offense, to 13 points. And I think the biggest takeaway from this is I think we have settled this quarterback controversy and Max Dugan is going to be the guy moving forward now. Alex Delton had a rough game. Uh, Dugan played most of the game and was not like impressive, but he was solid and, and helped the team get that win. I didn't get to really watch much of the game. It's Big Ten Network, and I don't have it because why would I have Big Ten? I don't want to watch Iowa and Minnesota. Um, so who did get to watch it, and kind of what were some of your takeaways? I I got to watch it, um, and actually it was probably one of the main ones that I was watching, one because I had the Big Ten Network. Um, I, I was flipping back and forth with the Iowa State game that got delayed so long that I didn't even think I'd be able to watch both of them at the same time. The one thing that really stuck out to me um, to be honest, was not how impressive TCU was in this game. It was how bad Purdue is. Um, you like, I think this is going to be one of those, while, while it was definitely an impressive performance defensively, and, and they had a huge part in making the Purdue offense be as bad as they were in the particular game, Purdue's defense is not really that great. And they honestly haven't been that great um, in the games. Like, they were expected to be pretty good this year. I actually work with a Purdue fan. Um, I've, I've worked with him for several years, and we talk about college football all the time. A lot of times it's been kind of, commiserating with how bad our teams have been. And this looks like it's another bad year for Purdue. He has absolutely no faith in what that team is going to be able to do this year. Um, I don't know that this says a lot about the offense other than what you said that it, you know, I think they finally settled on a quarterback. I just don't know that the success that they had with him is something that they're going to be able to replicate. A lot of that was Purdue's defense just seemed to be completely, you know, um, out of, out of sorts the entire game long. And, and TCU didn't really start to score a bunch until the end. Um, when they when they finally broke Purdue's spirit, um, you know, defensively, where where Purdue just knew their offense wasn't gonna be able to do anything all all game long, um, and and finally TCU started to 
to really settle in and start to put up points in that second half there. Um, but again, I don't know how much of that was TCU stuff was finally clicking and how much of that was Purdue was finally realizing, look, our offense is going to be able to do anything all day long. And they just kind of lost hope at that point. Yeah, I don't think anybody, any one of us expected Alex Delton to finish out the year as the starting quarterback. And it was a matter of time before Dugan came on. However, I'm not going to say his, his, you know, they, they got the big win. And, and I'll give that by Big 12 standards, his performance um, 7 of 18, 70 yards, one touchdown. You know, it's a 3.9-yard average, uh, a QBR of 20.2. It, it's not a, a standout, impressive performance. It's not going to just uh, – it's not going to, like, you know, I don't know. It's not, <laughs> it's not going to have a, a crazy reaction or anything like that. He did have – you know, he was mobile with 12 carries and everything, but what really stood out was Darius Anderson. He had a game. You know, he averaged 11.2 yards a carry with two touchdowns. He is the future of this offense, I think, moving forward. Uh, I, I think – I know Purdue's defense uh, isn't the best, but anytime you can rush for 346 yards and, you know, average six yards a carry and uh, hold your opponent to under one yard a carry, I think that's very impressive uh, no matter who you're playing. So I know that TCU, uh, like quarterback-wise, you know, not what you wanted to see, but I think they kind of won the trenches uh, – or dominated the trenches uh, very well against, you know, a Big Ten school, which was good to see. I think TCU is going to be a prototypical TCU team this year and that they're going to stay in every single game that they play because their defense is going to do enough to disrupt. The question for them again this year is just going to be, can the quarterback do enough? And I think this was a good first step for Max Duggan. And the fact that he is now kind of the undisputed starter, I think will allow them to go ahead and gel. The question is going to be, are they going to be able to get that to gel fast enough in their early Big 12 schedule that they can at least stay close? You know, I mean, they have their their winnable games, especially now after seeing what some of these teams have been doing. You know, their first two Big 12 games are probably two of the most winnable games that they have um, against Kansas. And then, you know, at, at Iowa State with how bad Iowa State's looked um, on, on the offense there. And so if they can't get their offense clicking really fast, they're going to find themselves losing probably the most winnable games they have on their schedule, um, except for maybe potentially that, that, you know, finale against West Virginia at home. And at that point, it's like, well, then the entire season goes down the toilet because you, you know, have really, really big struggles. Yeah. Should we be, should we be concerned that they only had eight, eight completed passes in, in 58 carries? I mean, not if you're, not if you're as successful in the round, uh, ground game as they were with Darius Anderson. Like I know Purdue, as as Franklin said, I know Purdue's defense is bad, but if if Anderson is that good, he can do a lot. You've got a good defense, you've got a good run game. So you may not be as fast as you'd like to be, but but that can carry you uh, to a good number of wins against some some lower competition. Yeah, I just I, I wonder though how many of these Big Twelve defenses are going to be set up to handle good running games, and I think they're going to have to be better at this year at it this year because we have so many teams that are actually really good running. You know, we have Kansas state, um, Kansas has a really good rushing attack. TCU has a really good rushing attack. Um, you know, I mean, in terms like the ones that aren't expected to really compete for the big 12 title this year, they all have really good running games. So those teams up at the top, like Oklahoma and Texas, um, are going to need to have really good rushing defenses to, in order to separate themselves from the lower pack schools. I'm curious how well that comes along for a lot of people, but I do think that the offense this year 
might be down overall in the conference compared to what we usually expect because there are going to be so many teams that are relying on the rushing game to really get them going. Is is Puka Williams and Khalil uh, uh, Herbert, are they the best running back tandem in the Big 12? I mean, I'm I'm a little biased, but I, I think just the way it is right now, if, if you're talking about top two, yeah, I think that those are the two best top two. Neither of them may be the best single rusher, but when you pair them together, I don't think there's any other team in the Big 12 right now that has a one and a two that could both take over a game like those guys could. Yeah, I think that's a, I think it's a valid point. If we're talking about a, a one-two punch, I think that's you can rank them number one. Individually, I like Puka, but Anderson has been impressive. Chuba Hubbard has been really impressive. I think you can make the argument that both Puka and Herbert are top five running backs in the Big 12 individually. Mm-hmm. Um but but I don't think that either of them would probably be in the top three. Like they would, sure. they would probably be four and five individually. Herbert maybe, given how well he has you know played the last couple games. Like honestly, I, I think that Herbert is the better running back for for the Jayhawks right now, just based on what he's done. Um, but a lot of that may just be that you know he he happens to have broken off a lot of the biggest runs, and and I wonder how much of that's colored by the fact he had that eighty two yard rush against Boston College. Like if he didn't have that huge run. Then I'm, I'm wondering how much, you know, how much of that perception goes away. But it's also one of those things. I think the Jayhawks have. But he, had, the, he also had a couple of those big better, runs called back. You know, well, yes, true. I mean, yeah, they, they definitely had a couple of runs. And, and, and Puka had a couple of big runs that were called back um, over his first two games as well. But the, the other thing, too, that I, I think, you know, it's, it's not going to get any play nationally unless the Jayhawks really surprise people in the Big 12 this year. But I think if you look at one, two running backs across the nation, that Kansas probably has a top five um, in the entire nation in terms of that one, two punch at running back. Like, unless there's another team in the Big 12 that really establishes a second guy, like, I don't think it's going to be particularly close this year in terms of, you know, entire running back room, one, two. Um, but, you know, there definitely are some very, very talented runners in the Big 12 that could make it maybe not necessarily seem that much because I do think that, that, Puka and Herbert are going to kind of cannibalize a little bit of each other's production because you can't just run every single time if you're the Jayhawks. So let's wrap on this, and I want everyone to kind of give me a, a quick response. Through three weeks, I know there's still a few non-conference select games left to go, but we're done with the Power 5 ones yet. Iowa State's got ULM, TCU's got SMU, and, and Baylor's got Rice. But at this point, you know, entering the season, the Big 12 was looked at as maybe the third or fourth best conference at best. The Big 12 has the most wins over Power 5 teams in non-conference. They're the best winning percentage against Power 5 teams. And I'm going to include BYU, Boise State, and Houston because they all seem to count them as Power 5 games on the schedule. So if they're going to, we're going to. Uh, And so right now, the Big 12 has the best overall winning percentage and is the only Power 5 team without a team with a losing record. So... I, I mean, I'm sorry, but the, the ACC did not look very good this weekend. Oh, the ACC is garbage. Oh, gosh, yes. So with all that said, where do we think at this point the Big 12 ranks among the Power 5 conferences? I think I'd say uh, tied for second probably with the uh, with the Big 10. I think the, uh, the SEC's num- the clear-cut number one. I think the Pac-12 is you know really bad this year. I think the ACC, like you said, had a terrible week. I think they're really bad this year. Um but the Big 12 just keeps, like uh, we alluded to earlier, the the lower teams in the Big 12 keep beating these middle tier teams and other conferences. So I think it'd be hard not to uh, put them second. I don't know if I could quite put them ahead of the Big 10 yet, but I think uh, they're definitely in that conversation. Yeah, I think by default, the Big 12 is at least third. I mean, even in a worst case scenario, because they showed that they're better than the ACC this week. 
They're definitely better than the Pac-12. So, I mean, by default, third. Now, can they get to that second position? Uh, at, I mean, the SEC is everybody's going to be everybody's number one. The the Big Ten has a couple of good teams. It depends on how well Texas comes up, Oklahoma, the top of the Big 12 gets to take that next step to be uh, ranked the second best conference in, in the country. But hands down, they, they definitely have to be third. I mean, I think looking at this, like no one is ever going to be able to get national push for the, that, that the SEC is not the best conference, which I think is kind of ridiculous, especially when you're looking at what's happened this year. A lot of the big wins the SEC has, with the exception of, you know, like that the, the LSU over Texas, it's been, you know, SEC is considered to be really good because people thought they were going to be really good going into the year and they don't play anybody in the non-conference typically for that to be disproven. Um, and so SEC is going to kind of get the benefit of the doubt always to be the number one. In terms of the actual what's actually happened on the field, though, honestly, I think the Big Ten probably has the most impressive set of wins um, in general. Now, they also have some pretty big losses, so I could see kind of knocking them down. But I like as it stands right now, I don't know that there's a lot of separation between Big 12, Big Ten and SEC in terms of what's actually happened on the field. Um, and so. I mean, I think just natural national perception-wise is going to be SEC, Big Ten, then Big 12. But based off of what we've seen, I don't know that that's the case. I do agree, though. ACC has shown themselves to be absolute trash except for uh, Clemson, which, you know, I think I think the, the, the Big 12 refs on Twitter said it best that the, uh, you know, the Big 12 should just go and um, annex Clemson by force if they have to. I mean, how much – that was going to be my next question. How much is – is Clemson lifting at the ACC, similar to how Alabama has done some years to the SEC? Uh, how much is how good they are lifting up the conference and how it's viewed as a whole? Lifting them. They're literally just carrying the entire conference on their back. It's it's Clemson and then, I mean, I could argue it's Clemson and then a conference that's worse than the American at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more like Clemson is dragging them back to um, any sort of relevance <laughs> at all. Like, if if Clemson wasn't in that conference, I don't think anybody would be talking about the ACC at all, football wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the ACC's best team the last two years has been NC State, and they just got whooped by West Virginia, who's viewed as you know one of the bottom three teams in the Big Twelve this year. So, I think Clemson is really, you know, the only good team in the uh, ACC, and I definitely think they're carrying that conference's view uh, among you know. Other. So so let me let, let me ask you a real hypothetical here. So say say Clemson drops a game, do they get it? Should they be? I mean, I have a feeling they would be put into the conference, the playoff. Should they be though? I, it's hard to balance the, and this is where this stuff gets frustrating between results on the field and who you played, and knowing how good you are. Um. Because we know how many guys that we know that what the recruiting is like. We know how good Trevor Lawrence is. I know he hasn't been as good so far to start this year, but their defense has been as good as last year. We think, and, and that includes you know the benefit of, of playing A and M, who I think is pretty good. They've they've got South Carolina, who's garbage in the season. Uh, their their non their schedule is not going to be great, but it's going to be hard to argue against what we think we know about Clemson based off the past few seasons and the guys that they've been able to bring into this program. Yeah, I mean, I'm just having a hard time. You know, that's kind of the, the problem with the college football playoff, the way that it's set up anyway. With only four teams in there, there's a heavy weighting to how good people think you're going to be going into the year. Like Clemson, because they're probably not going to lose a game until, you know, the end of the season, essentially, it's going to be really easy for people, I think, to rationalize, oh, well, you know, they're, they're, they're a really, really good team that just kind of overlooked an opponent. 
but they'll be just fine. They're still one of the better teams, even if they're having trouble with, you know, other teams that are really bad in the ACC. Um, you know, like I think they're going to get a lot of boost for that win at Syracuse, even though, to be honest, I think Syracuse was highly overrated this year and we're going to see them fall off really, really quickly. Um, but by the time they actually fall off and people realize how bad they are, it's not going to matter because Clemson will have already gotten the bump in their perception by beating a Syracuse team on the road that probably isn't as good as people think they are right now, but everyone's going to say, oh, well, they, they beat a good Syracuse team on the road. Like it's not going to matter that much what they do at that point, because by the time they actually lose, it, it, it just won't be a big deal. I'm really curious. And I'm, is Clemson setting themselves up, even if they go undefeated to basically be 2014 Florida state where they're coming off a national championship, they're going to go undefeated, but they're not going to play anybody. They're not going to be super impressive all season, but they're going to get in anyways, even though maybe we think there are four teams that might be better than them this year, but it's hard to say no. This is where I, I go to. I've, I don't feel like there's enough emphasis put on earning it, right? Like, you, you know, it's always about like who had the good loss or who had the, the bad loss. And, you know, when, when was it Penn State got overlooked, the Big Ten champion and Ohio State put in over them, that they totally discredit, discredits what happened in the season and who deserved it and, and who earned it. And, and that somehow they have to reconcile those two things between what we perceive and who's actually earned it and, and make it work. All right. I think unfortunately, um, you know, even if Clemson does lose a game, I think they have that perception that they're a national title contender. And I think just like Alabama, you know, if Alabama drops a game or, you know, doesn't make the SEC championship, which has happened sometimes in the past couple of years, they still get in. It's, you know, the, the Clemson brand, the, you know, defending national champions, they've been there, they've done that. I think they'll get in even if, you know, they do get a loss or whatever. But I, di- I agree. I think the playoff should give um, these bids to teams that deserve it and earn it through the regular season. Um, and I think maybe expansion is the only way to really do that because four is just not getting it, you know, not cutting it right now. Yeah, and if you look at Clemson's schedule, like they had that early win against Texas A&M. And unless Texas A&M, like, loses the rest of their games, they're going to get a bump for being in the SEC, and that's going to be the, quote-unquote, marquee win that Clemson needed to show that they are one of the four best teams. Like, unless they lose multiple games against uh, – looking at their ACC slate, like, they have pretty much nobody for the rest of the year. Like, they play at NC State, but, you know, there's questions about that. Florida State has fallen off completely. North Carolina has all kinds of problems. They've definitely surprised from what they were supposed to be, but – you know, no one expects them to really be that good this year. Like the rest of their entire slate is questionable at best. And so the only marquee chant or the only, the only high level game that they've had on their entire schedule is going to be that game against Texas A&M that they played at home early in the year. Um, and, you know, I think even, like I said before, you know, even if Texas A&M completely falls off, they're one, still in the SEC, and two, they were expected to be really good at the beginning of the year, so it's going to be a high-profile win at the beginning of the year that they'll get credit for, even if Texas A&M ends up being horrible this year. All right, so I know this was a little long, but I thought this was a lot of fun. I thought we had some really good conversation. Uh, guys, let's just wrap Let's just wrap with this. Andy, for everybody who wants to check out the, the work you do covering Kansas as well as the Big 12, where can they do so? Yeah, so I, I cover Kansas and the Big 12 over at Land Grant Gauntlet, of course. 
Um, but I also have my own podcast that covers the Jayhawks. It's the Rock Chalk Podcast. You can find that on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. And I also write uh, over at Rock Chalk Talk for, for the Jayhawks as well. Franklin, same question. Uh, where can everybody follow the work that you do covering West Virginia? I cover West Virginia and the uh, Big 12 for Langer and Gauntlet. I also uh, do a little West Virginia work for Blue Gold Sports, and you can see all that on my Twitter at Franklin Markell. Uh, you guys know how to find me, and you know how to find Chris, and of course you know where to find the 1012. Thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to, to week four. Definitely. Hey guys, a couple of things before we go. Just a reminder, make sure you're subscribed to the 1012 podcast so you don't miss a single episode during the football season. Two, rate and review the show. Five stars, please. It helps guests get the word out about the show to other people. Plus, we just like to know what you like and don't like. Just if you're going to give us one star, let us know why. We appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to be part of our first mailbag episode this month, shoot us your question. You can DM us. On Twitter at 1012 Podcast, T E M, the number 12, the word podcast, or you can shoot it to us in an email. That's 1012 Podcast, T E N, number 12, word podcast at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.